Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show, and um, last week um, <clears throat> I had a bit of a cathartic experience in the live musical context, uh, being able to uh, witness um, uh, Tony Leone and Scott Sherrard being, uh, playing music with Little Feet, um, very healing music, and uh, as a result, it's, I also have friends back on the East Coast who check out a lot of heady music, and a lot of them are completely obsessed with my next guest, who seems to just be in all these funky and angular settings, uh, soul jazz or uh, R&B, uh, also just really tasty uh, uh a good taste in music and an accomplished uh, producer. Um, as we know, uh, the life of an artist and a musician can be tedious, but you know they are as important as medical doctors uh, in this present era that we are in right now. Craig Dreyer, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Oh, thanks for having me. Right on. That was a very, very kind introduction. Well, um, I mean, I think I just, just really what wanted to know. I wanted to start with the idea of. Uh, you know, it takes a certain point, it, it takes a certain sort of headiness to be able to play Wilton Felder with the Crusaders or Lou Donald. Like, when did your musical point of view start to come into focus in your career? Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. I, I You know, like, I'm just always trying to do the best I can and just, you know, uh, I, I, but i got to say, I feel always, I feel like there's... Well, music, it's the more you play, I just feel like I get better as I get older. I feel like I know more. So coming into focus, it's always coming into focus. There's always more to do. There's always more to practice. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's a question I can't answer because it's, you know, until I'm Wilton Felder. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I it's, it's, it's the forever. You know, I'm it's, out of focus. Yeah. No, it's the, <laughs> it's the forever journey, man. I dig, you know, like, but, yeah, yeah, I, you know, but, but I mean, but I guess I, here, maybe the better question is, um, how did you, I'd like you to just talk to younger cats about how you cultivated your own individual sound on your horn. Well, you know, that's funny that I can tell you because I, I mean, my vibe, see, I didn't go to music school. Um, so I, I didn't like, you know, there was no, and, and we, we just grew up playing bars in New York city, you know, so we didn't really have, I had only a couple of lessons, you know, and so there was no one telling me, oh, like, play, like, in this style or transcribe the solo and try to be like this, you know. I was basically, my brothers were guitar players and played really fucking loud. <laughs> uh, but when we were in our early 20s, you know, the management bought us a fucking couple of JCM 900s, Marshalls, you know. Yeah. And so, like, basically I was trying to play saxophone, like an electric guitar, as loud as I could. I got a Duke off, um, uh, mouthpiece with a high baffle and it's called a super power chamber it used to be called took off died and that you know they, they're out of existence they were very soft they bent really easily huh. made of this stuff called silverite which is actually pewter and it's like really cheap you could literally i mean i would bite through them i'd go through them all the time <laughs> but they they have this high baffle which means it kind of it could give you this high edgy piercing thing when i was young i played in a smaller bore with a stiffer reed so i was playing really hard to get this really edgy thing i mean so i was trying to sound like you know just like competing with 
electric guitars. You know what I mean? This and that was, was like, uh, would you you'd say this was, were there dynamics in the music or was it just level 10 all yeah, the way? Yeah, I mean, I would play different yeah. stuff too. I mean, I'm just saying that was the, you know, like when you're playing in bars with shitty PAs or, you know, when you're playing with really loud guitars, you know, it's like Junior Walker figured out another solution for mm. it, which is he found this incredible altissimo, right? He's playing back in the day of no PAs, right? You're playing in a That's room right. with drums, yep. early amplified basses and guitars, a, a Hammond organ, and the PAs suck, right? Or there, maybe there's a PA. <laughs> so no bad, monitor, like so right? bad, yeah. Right? There's no monitor. You can't hear yourself. So he, his solution was to come up with these. I mean, these incredible high notes that would that that would just you know cut through anything. So I, I was you know I was trying to be like. Also, I like Bobby Keys for like a rock sound. So that kind of sure. edgy sound was, and and I you know so I was just trying, but but on the other hand, this is all talking. This is all like as if I was conscious of any of this shit. <laughs> you just do it. You know what I mean? I did. Really no, we're just we're talking it. about the esoteric. You know, totally. Well, you can look back on it now. Yeah. You know, when you're not high as fucking shit growing up, you know, shooting dope on the Lower East Side like a maniac and then try to look back on what you, you know, did, you know, when you're clean 30 years and looking back at it. You know what I mean? Totally, man. So, so it's like, but yeah, that would be it if I look back on So it's like trying to, and then, you know, so, and we also didn't believe in, in tribute bands and when we, in my scene in New York in the 80s, you know, we, we didn't. Like, we thought sounding like somebody else was the absolute no-no. Like, that's what you didn't do. You tried as hard as you could to be what would sound like yourself. Um, I love that. that. Was, I love that. I love that attitude, man. That was our attitude. We yeah. thought, we thought you know, cover bands were, were square. You know, we thought that was jive, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was, like, corny. Like, you know, what? You do that? Like, what's wrong? Can I ask you? I want to just, I want to. Not that I feel that way now, so don't hate me. But no, 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 no. You, dude, you don't need to preface anything. I, I guess what I'm saying is, was there, um, <clears throat> not only were you trying to create original music and, and stay away from the cover stuff, um, could you sing for your supper playing original music live? Well, yeah. I mean, it was definitely easier. It was easier. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, than now. Yeah, like, yeah. So, like, so, like, I had, like, original rock bands with my brothers. Then, then what happened is I fell into the scene. I There was a band in New York called Joey Miserable and the Worms. And I don't know if you've ever heard of these <laughs> no, guys. No, that's awesome. But they were kind of Lower East Side legends. Wow. You know? And then I, I get a call from the bass player. Because I, I met the bass player, Jerry Duggar, playing with Joan Osborne, playing Bleecker, on Bleecker Street, right? And so then he calls me to play with this band called the Mighty Sweet Tones, or some of the spinoff of this band, Joey Miserable and the Worms, right? So anyway, we started playing uh, the, all these blues clubs, but we had original tunes. And so we were playing this, this bar called Dan Lynch, uh, Mondo Connie and Mondo Perso on Bleecker Street. And we were working four or five nights a week, and we played bluesy stuff. But we had originals, and we were making a living. Wow. We would play twenty wow. nights a month, uh, and and I also played with the guy, and yeah, and, uh, and it's a whole long whatever. There's a bunch well, what of I, what I'm what I'm there, what I'm saying. The bands. Yeah, I mean, what it it was it was as long as we were bluesy, right? We could play these blues clubs, right. and they had guarantees. And if you were good, and we were, and you could keep the people in there then you got the gig. If you sucked, you, you just couldn't, they wouldn't pay. You wouldn't be in the loop. So it was different then. It was still before they turned it into this thing where you, it's like you have five bands a night and how many people do you break? It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, right? Exactly. But back then it was a club advertised, the club paid for advertising. They paid the band. You were, 
your job was to be good. Your, the club would have a style of music. Your jo- job was to be good and keep the people that they brought in there in there or and, and rock it. And that's we were at the tail end of that late eighties, early nineties was still like that. So you could just play original tunes around town, and and, and you like there were, that, there were there were many bands doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There were, and you know, and then there was the, there, there was a jam band scene emerging in New York that was becoming big because that was the time we were playing. Like if you look at the if you look on the the special thanks of the first Blues Traveler and Spin Doctors records is thanks to the Mighty Sweet Tones. You know, wow. those guys sort of watched us, checked us out, and then we were all friends with them. I, I even did some gigs in the horn section of the Spin Doctors, believe it or not. Wow. For a couple of that gigs, there was a classic. horn section. Yeah, me and a trombone player, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so, like, for two nights, I was a Spin Doctor, you know what I mean? But like, oh, man. But, like, so there were some bands coming out, and then Wetlands, this club happened, and there were a lot of jam bands came out of that. I mean, you know, there's there's pictures of that era where it was, like, Dave Matthews playing at Wetlands with fucking 15 people, you know? Um, what what year, what, know, like, what year is that? What year is that, approximately? Like, 90, Nine, Yeah, I, so, okay, so totally, totally under the radar. Right, but but you still there were gigs for you know there were clubs that you could get a guarantee and and just play in your you know you maybe throw a few covers or you're in the style of so we were fortunate that we caught the tail end of that I don't know well I also I, and to dovetail with Craig Dreyer here I mean you also I mean were you a, uh, you were also at the tail end of being a studio shark did you get find your way into the studios yeah yeah sure yeah. Definitely, there were sessions. So you were still, making you, know, you were making bread that way. Is I mean, you could really go out. Yeah. You know, you didn't even get had to get paid a lot at the Bleecker Street stuff because you you were making dough in the studio. So that well, I, I, yeah. I mean, at that point, I was you know, I mean, I mean, did man like we play we play this place called Dan Lynch and this one band I'm talking about, and we used to make two fifty three hundred dollars a man each on a Saturday night. That like, is man, unreal, man. My rent was four fifty. <laughs> I mean, you know, the problem was, you know, if you left the club with all of it, because there was this cat named Shot who stand sat at the end of the bar. He looked like Isaac Hayes, and you know, he had the tendency to oh, take all your money. Are you kidding me, <laughs> or you dude? Give him all your money. But, it, but what's interesting about that? Well, you know, what's interesting about that time in that club in mm-hmm. particular was really cool. Was a thing I like to mention about the time in New York was that. The, like our band was half black and half white, and the crowd was half black and half white. We were playing blues. That ended. Like after the mid, by the mid nineties, there was it was the, the blue black people coming to see blues in New York didn't seem to be fascinating. Because so Fa- you, you do you yeah. nailed it, dude. Because you could go to a yeah, festival. It's like that, yeah. the, the blues became this like white people sort of took over it in a lot of ways, and uh, you know became the people in it, and. Um, it, it, it changed. There was it was a really cool scene because for me, for a white kid from the Upper East Side to be in the scene, you know. Um, and I have to mention this guy. His name was Bill Sims too. He was a guy I met around the time. Later became a really like big figure to a lot of us. Low and and Scott and Tony will tell you for sure. Um, in the New York scene, there was this guy Bill Sims. He was really the best of the blues in New York for many years. He passed away about three or four years ago now, and he became like. You know, he's like, I mean, for a lot of the younger kids, I mean, to me, he was like my older brother. Mm. You know, he's mm. definitely like about 18 years older than me, 20 years older than me. But I was like, you know, he was young when I met him. <laughs> you know, I was like, to every, people in later years, he was like their old uncle or something, you know, but like, 
you know, I know him 30 fucking years, you know, and we just, we hung out back in the day. I so did. We like, no. So he, you you're know, t- he was a, like, music, he was a, he was a cat or he promoted the blues. You know, he was a, he was a great guitar player wow. and singer. Wow. I mean, there's a, there's a, they made a film about him and his, and his wife. Um, and he, um, it's on, it was on PBS. And, and he, so they made, you know, wow. some fusses have been made about him earlier. And then later he had a, um, a, a band with his uh, daughter and, uh, this other uh, singer guitar player, Junior Mac, called the Heritage Blues Orchestra, which did well. And they toured in Europe, and he he got some more his due and in the end of his life. But there was just like a whole scene, a whole culture, uh, you know. Like we, and also like, do you remember the Holmes Brothers? They you know, used to play with Popsy Dixon. Absolutely, was, like my sure. First, my first blues gig, I I I sit in with this cat named Moose Bolay at a place <laughs> called the Chameleon. This is nineteen. I want to say 1990 or 89 in New York. No, no, no. So, no earlier, 88, 80. yeah, 88. And and the Moose is like, "All right, motherfucker, you're on the gig every fucking Tuesday night at midnight. We start at midnight. Whoa. All right. And so I show up my first the next week. Right. <laughs> I show up and it's fucking at midnight. I'm 20 years old. Right. And these cats are about you know 40. You know, wow. and they look like old as shit to me. Right at 20. Oh, now definitely. Right. But but then it's Bill Sims. This guitar player I'm telling you about, Eller Moose Bolle on bass. Um, he played for Lou Reed and, and Greg Allman. He's a great blues and still active and in, in, uh, he lives in uh, Florida Moose. now. And the drummer was Popsy Dixon from the Holmes Brothers, and that was and me, and that was a fucking eye-opening experience. You know what I mean? And and we're lucky that we had that because that doesn't you know, there's not so much of that in New York you know anymore. There there is some still some great guys. Ron Crenshaw's a bona fide great real real blues man in my eyes junior mac is great too um and but there's not as many clubs where, where that and certainly not as many black singers guitar players leading these bands you know like in new york I, and other places sure but uh what's fascinating is you just to me i was just going to go back really quickly to this idea of like the original blues masters, the Howlin' Wolves, the Beat. I mean, there was not really a next generation. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why the black audience disappeared. Whether it was in, it, whether it was uh, premeditated and a business move, because basically you can go to a blues festival now. There's not one black band on the bill. Well, they're trying to rectify it because I just did. I did a couple. I toured a couple weeks with Pop Chubby last. Mm. January of uh, March, and we did Bonamassa's Blues Cruise, right. and y- yes, I mean, there. I think you get a sense that that's there's an awareness right. that there needs to be, but but I think you have two. Fa- I mean, you have a couple of factors. I mean, at least I can't speak to about. I'm not sure what I would say about at, in the '60s, but maybe it's the same kind of thing. But I, I do feel like. What it is is, I would guess, and I can't speak for a people, what black people do. Absolutely. No, just you. But what I would get a sense is that people are want to be rappers and they want to be R&B singers because that's where the, sh- the shit is. And the, the best talents wants to go where they can express themselves and be current and have hits and make money. And sometimes blues is just kind of like this old ass thing, you know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, why would I want to go play that old shit? I want to play this new shit that's made with machines, and and you do this, you go into the studio and you make beats, and that's what's happening. So, you know, why would you go? But then, so you know, and, I mean, it also speaks to the this sort of the obsession with voc- vocalese, uh, as opposed to like, is it really vogue to even be? Uh, improvisation, the like good improvisationally at an instrument. I mean, to me, like, uh, to me, I, there's a, con- I just, to me, no matter what, 
I think the uh, the other issue for me, you don't. I mean, I just I don't hear enough grease in the blues, man. It's got to be greasy, like like you know what I'm saying. Like like it's gotten a little too classicalized, a little too white, you know. And and I'm just saying, like all I care about is grease, man. That's it. You know what's funny? You know what's funny for me? <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like it's the singing. Like for me, it's the singing and the subtlety right. and the singing and not and also like. Man, dig this band. The, the Bill's last band that we were playing with in New York. I mean, I thought we were real crushing. We never made a record. We should have. We tried to, but Bill was weird in the studio. We should have made a live record. But we had Charlie Drayton on drums. Wow. Andy Hess on bass. Ah, are you kidding I me? Mean, fucking George Dude, Hess Lacks. is a freak of nature, man. Yeah, yeah, George Lacks on keyboards or Brian Mitchell. Me wow. and then Al Street on guitar. That was the fucking band. That's not a blue. That's a fusion band. No, but we're playing blues, right. but, but there was subtlety, there's quiet. Sometimes when I'm listening to the blues, it's yes. like they found this one area of muscly Chicago blues, and it's it's very like, for lack of a better term, it's kind of like hyper-masculine, like wear your biker outfit, blues. like it's all hollering, it's all yelling. Oh um, the vocals are like, like I don't know. There's when like, did that, there's that you nailed it. No, you're nailing it. Too. There's, yeah. like, there's quiet sections, there's space, there's discipline. You know, instead of this, and then the other thing is, it's all just guitar solos. I mean, guitar solo after guitar solo. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, not as many horn sections. Uh, so, some of those factors, I think, is what what I hear as opposed to what I mean. You could define gre- whatever you define grease as. What I hear is a lack of subtlety, lots of loud. I'm just, you know, what I what I what I what I want to see is cats getting up there. Um, you know hitting clams but yet everybody goes in that direction so there are no wrong notes you're not going up there it's not a formula it's not a formula trip it's like a freddie robinson kind of thing that i mean these kinds of freaking insane i mean the way even west montgomery joe sample went to his house and he's like he's he was writing this new tune and joe's like so what chord is that and west is like i have no idea and he's like you mean he's like you don't know the chords that you're playing He's like, and you know, I know, I know it's not, but I'm just saying the, the, the education came from when you showed up and played with guys twice your age and that education now is in the Academy. And I don't think blues vocabulary or jazz can grow in the Academy. So that's the crisis. Well, then you might have a point there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you, I think you nailed it with the hyper masculine. They get into one little niche of the the blues is like a dynamic music. Well, you know, I mean, to me, fucking blues is Louis Jordan too you know what that's I mean? right to me you know to me blues is fucking Gene Ammons as well totally and, you know, dude uh, you know Jug. And Illinois to a cat yeah. you know I mean there's horn players and blues you know and one of the sad things about New York and I will fucking name names is that motherfucker at fucking Terra Blues God re- God God bless him, but he doesn't like fucking. We, when we were playing the Terra Blues, when we when the club started, you had saxophone. He he actually ruled out saxophone at his club. <laughs> Wanker man, Wanker Spady. dude. I did I did two years with Clarence Beatty there, right? right? And I couldn't take my horn out of my case to just play keys, right? Play organ. And then when I, I my horn would be in the dressing room when when the owner would split, then. Clarence would be like, hey man, go, go get your horn. And, uh, you know, and then I take my horn. And then I play a couple of tunes at the end of the night. Well, work got back to him that I was doing that and I got fired. <laughs> oh, but no, how about that? No saxophone allowed. That was his idea. I just find that to be, that's just such a wankish idea. Man. I don't dig that. Right? 
think, oh, yeah. I don't think either. Hey, I'm being a saxophone player, but still, come on, man. What do you mean? No, I mean, this you is know like, what I mean? Like, I don't know. Shows, you, yeah. shows the thinking, right? It's like the certain kind of Chicago blues, and that gets co- like a, a code in people's minds. That, okay, that's what blues is. Shuffles. That's it, you man. Know. You're na- that's it. You're back on the track, dude. You're nailing this, dude. It's you know, like it's a like, program I mean, you know, coding bullshit. You know, it's like, all right, you know. And look, hey. You know, there's some great people doing that stuff, and I'm not. I don't want to take away any. I mean, I went on Spoons. I thought Bonamassa, I, that his band was slick. They sounded fucking great. I mean, Chubby, fucking, he's been wailing this shit for fucking thirty years. He fucking, you know, wails. There's a lot of these wailing rock blues guitars. Jimmy Vivino's out there on sure. the scene. He's fucking great. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of these great guitar players doing this thing. You know, I just, I don't know. I guess I'd like to see some more. Well, I mean, you know what it is? It's just, it's, I just wonder, you know, who do you feel, I mean, you mentioned Brother Sims, but do you feel like there was, who was the best leader that you ever worked for and, and, and what have you tried to take from that person uh, into your own career? As well, a Bill is one. Bill is one. Definitely. There's yeah. so many. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, like, but there's lots of guys like who are, you know, really, you know, Every, you know, you know what it is is when people. I think when people get the best out of their players, what I see is when they, when they, when there's a sense of trust and like let you like when you feel like you could take a solo for as long as you want, if you wanted to, you could take ten choruses and and you like playing with Sherrard. Sherrard never looks at me, and it's never like <laughs> as many bars as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's tunes where it's obviously a set amount or you know whatever but like on on other things there's always a sense of like it's as long as you want it to be and he trusts you and then like in jazz you know it's nobody's saying oh so unless you're making the record but nobody's saying only do so many choruses nobody tells you that you take as many as it makes sense and and so in blues and r&b and like when someone trusts you like that and then you feel like Sometimes you might be a little tense, and then you you might need a little time to settle in on something. You might need to start somewhere to get somewhere, you know. Mm. And um, mm. you know, and and if you feel like a guy's like waiting for you to be done, you know, then you can't really ever get loose and really play your best, you know. And that that can create a tension. I mean, I think there's few people like I don't know. I mean, when I think about when you hear stories about guys like James Brown, right, where they were tough on guys, right? Definitely, like. Like, I mean, the guys, I, I mean, you have to be a real big star to be tough where guys are going to respond and be great under those circumstances. I, I don't, I think the culture has changed away from that. I don't think people really respond to that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, listen, there were many times where James Brown found himself without a band because they quit on him. So they didn't always take his shit. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, he, after I, a, I, yeah. So he carried two yeah. drummers for a while, but he didn't have two drummers on stage. But in case one of them walked off the gig, but I'm with you. It's it's a, you, you see that in sports as well. But I just feel like it's yeah, hard. Like I don't. I mean, yeah. if guy. I mean, like like I, I'm old and I've been around. Oh, you know, I I can handle it if some guys fucking want to browbeat a little bit. I'm not. You know. Sure. I mean, but I don't like it. I think I play my best when when people are. And then you can tell when somebody like, you know, you can tell when somebody like uh, band leaders taking it. Like, he takes a hit to make sure his cat gets paid. And you know, and like, when you sense, when you know a guy does that for you a couple of times, you know, then you want to play for that guy. I love it. You know what I mean? I love that. You know, and, yeah. and there's, you know, there's a lot of people. And then there's people who don't do that, and I won't name names. Can you, you know, can you yeah. talk about somebody like early, when you were still kind of wet behind the ears, who like... Oh, lo- like Warren Haynes. Like, I played Warren Haynes' band, Gets right. Before Government Mule. You know, Warren's, 
really fucking what a nice guy. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, he's, you know, he, there's an example of a great dude, you know, the, the pleasure. You know, he calls and you fucking, you know, you're like, where do I go? You know, I'll go anywhere you want. Let's rock. You know, you don't even, you don't ask any questions because you know it's going to be cool. You know, the gig's going to be great and he's, he's going to be great. And he'll be, you know, that's an example I could think of, uh, you know. I want no. This is this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Not that you were a lot even alive during this time, but I wanted to get. There were remnants of it when you were still woodshedding and coming up, and uh, so um, the long and the short of it is, a lot of the guys that played on the accompanists that played on Blue Note Records in the mid '60s, guys like Joe Chambers, some people like Bobby Hutcherson and those cats. I mean, not not so much Bobby, but a lot of the other guys who were, they were trying to, they were competing with guys for gigs like Archie Shep and Albert Ayler. And in their mind, those guys were just squeaking and squawking. They couldn't play changes. Uh, they, they couldn't back up a singer. Uh, they couldn't hold down a gig at Radio City Music Hall. And yet, uh, and these other musicians who were playing this sort of sophisticated post-bop where you could hear the tradition, you, they were playing changes, they were adding some new vocabulary to it. Um, I just, you know, like to me, like the, the, is there validity in the squeaking and squawking? Where do you come down on that? I know you you played in early with your brothers in like high octane rock bands, but. I was well, just, I mean, in terms of playing out. Yeah, know, like, like being like, like, because basically like those, my generation, I mean, 43, the younger cats, they definitely look at, at guys like Eiler and Shep that they are the free jazz heroes, but in some ways, the cats that really had the vernacular, the blue, th- those. Yeah, but all those guys, those guys, all those guys could probably play Bob. I agree. Guys. I think you're right, man. I think Shep, definitely Shep could. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean that's an old, that's an old canard. That's a canard, that's I guess. Everybody kind of knows. Like the guys who played out really well actually could really play. Like Ornette could really play, and like Parker and stuff. A lot of these guys had more chops than. You know, certainly Farrah Sanders did. You know what I mean? It's, well, it was know, a reaction. They, it was basically saying, I don't want to try to be Charlie Parker. I, I know I, I have, I'm have. i gifted. I just want well, to go. So the times change and the music changes. Right. I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's like, who want, you know, you know, that's one, one of the things about, you know, I, I'm just old enough to see, like, if you talk about jam bands in the 90s, we didn't call at Wetlands playing with Blues Traveler or Joan Osborne or like Aquarium Rescue Unit. Oh, absolutely. I played with God Street Wine. Oh, you are know? you kidding me? You do that, that, oh my God. So, so, so like say all, any of these bands, we weren't calling it jam bands yet, right? That, 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 did that word even exist? It was called, it was called classic rock. I so love it, dude. So what you start to see is you start to see right. backwards looking retro things started around then because it wasn't happening that much before. So you start to see the culture looking backwards. Right, right? You're nailing mostly, this, man. Holy! But, but mostly, but but look, who's who's looking backwards? Well, it's like white middle class, basically rockers <laughs> looking backwards. Okay, but then like I played a gig, like I played a gig later with um, Leo Nocentelli for the. Oh, right, I've he interviewed. Doesn't want, what he a fucking... doesn't fucking. He doesn't bring the exact guitar and fucking Fender amp that he played on the meter shit. He's got some new fangled guitar and some new pedal because he wants to sound modern. Right. He wants to play something new. He's not in, he's not like, that's another kind of person who says, let's get 
a sound that's exactly like Leo did on the Meters records. Mm. Let's get the let's get the exact guitar and the exact amp. You know what I mean? Like that's a later thing that happens. You know, right? Henry Hirsch and, and Lenny do that kind of thing. But this is you know, people later start doing that. I think. So th- that's my. So, so talk. How I mean. So so the mob. Pharaoh and Albert Eidler, They're trying to be modern all the time. So already Bob is already fucking ten, fifteen years old. Right. Oh, this is like, amazing. Yeah, this is right? such a. It's I'm, old. Why are you geez. playing that old shit, motherfucker? I want to play this. Why are you playing that old fucking yeah. you know country ass blues when I want to fucking sound like Kendrick Lamar? You, oh. you know what I mean? I mean that's that's what I see. It's but but that's amongst that's amongst certain people, and then there's some like look. I mean I I, I still have retro. I was I was. Before we started, I was complaining about my tape machine having a little issue. I'm still trying to make records like I still like making records like it's the 70s and 80s on tape, analog, comp, everything, vintage mics. I mean, it's just like what I like and what I like the aesthetic of. And I'm still, you know, people bring their new songs and still have that influence. I mean, there's jam band stuff that still does that. So there is a market for it. And people still like it. And I try to do new versions of it, like it's an old record. Like the record I'm making right now today is like a dude. His name is Joel Z. It's like it's like a, a Randy Newman record or something, wow. like half Randy Newman and half Donald Fagan or something. But we, you know, it's it's all on tape, no computers, no auto tune, no fucking editing on tape, nothing. It's all just like the records made all analog is pre nineteen eighty. Well, let me ask you: Are you? Talking. But I mean, are you when like are, in, are you doing the? Are you bringing in all sorts of different rhythm sections like Fagan did, or is it like no, no? Know. We kind of went with one right, right, one rhythm right. section. I mean, it was absurd what he was. He was. I mean, well, hardly. Have, yeah. yeah, the guy doesn't have the budget to do that. Right. The, I mean, did, I mean, did you? Did, what was a budget like when you were in? I mean, obviously not like suds and duds commercials, but like, can you talk about? Like, I mean, because I mean, when I was interviewing Dave Bargeron from Blood, Sweat, and Tears, he's talking about. You know, I mean, they'd rent out RCA for two weeks. There'd be tubs of cocaine. You know, it's like, you know, like they're well, everything's different. Put it this way: I know, I, I dig. Are you just for you? Did were there were there budgets in the studio? For, for? Oh, sure, yeah. Like I remember, I remember playing like, like I one that comes to mind. Like there was a I played just on one track, but I was friends with the, the guitar player for a band called Spread Eagle. Yeah. They were like one of the last bands on MCA. To, like hair band to, they got a, like a monstrous contract wow dude MCA like I remember him, like punching like he punched the vocals in for like um, months or something <laughs> they were working on the vocals and I forget what I got but I got like you know I don't know I probably got like a grant or something wow. in 1980 what 9 or 90 or 89 or somewhere around that time like to go in and play one tenor solo you know that's unbelievable I, I remember like I know I'm the side man I remember the, I remember Al Cooper was on one track and there he probably got a pot you know like you go in and you have a session like that you know and it was on MCA and they have you know I forget where they did it but I remember you know you go into some big studio and yeah they were there they have it rented out for weeks you know and I just come in hey man why don't you play on this track and yeah it paid well I mean everything everything relatively speaking paid has, has gone down and you know everything has gone down relatively speak if you add if you adjust for inflation i mean oh absolutely you know, i mean it's it's ridiculous it's oh, absurd absurd, absurd I mean, you man. know you can come into my studio it's embarrassing what my hourly rate is it's less than what it was for a studier in the 80s you know and not adjusted for inflation it's less yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's just crazy so but you know 
Can you just talk a little bit? I just I, I want you to just talk a little bit about how you you know stay in a forward looking position. I think it, what you talked about the nostalgic lean that yeah. See, I don't. I don't how do how do yeah. you balance that? Like when you talk about putting a modern twist on stuff. Uh, well, like I just look for like if, if I'm if I'm producing something, I have this sort of retro sensibility where I like things. The gears, because I like how it sounds. Absolutely, more more, more like how it feels. Like I like how tape feels. Man. Absolutely, that's a whole, man. That's a whole long like. No, I did, dude. All I listen to is my Roland sack with all my tapes, dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole thing with analog, and you know that's a whole like, you know maybe for like an engineering kind of interview or no, whatever. we can do a set too. No, that's that's important. But it, then I'm always looking for people who are writing new songs that feel current, that represent, you know, that that feel fresh. Like I made a record which I'm really proud of. This this um, singer Molly Ruth, and it's on Spotify. Just check it out. It's like it's like new classic rock, and it's really good. Like we got Tony Mason's on drums, Jack Daly on bass, uh. Al Street's on some of the guitar. I play keys and sax on. But she's like, you know, she's like country rock weird stuff all mixed in but uh, to me she's a great singer and she's new and it's like check it if out. you like all that old classic rock you put this on it's gonna have the you're gonna identify with it right away but she's got a new weird twist to her she's got this edge to her i really like her and uh check that record out and that's that that would illustrate better than me talking about absolutely you know but she's new when she came she came in it was really funny man i did like an old school thing i you know like she came in. She came in first singing. She was just like a solo acoustic vocal thing. I was like, "Man, you're really good. Like, you should do a record." And she came in with some with her band, and like about two tracks into the thing, I was like, "I was like, oh fuck, we're in the control room." And I just, I just looked at her. I said, "This ain't gonna work." She was like, what do you mean? I said, "Well, your band. We gotta fire your band." She's like, "What? Fire my band?" Oh man! And I said, "Yeah, we're firing their whole band." And and she was like, okay, she trusted me, and I, she was like, how do we do it? I said, well, I'm just going to tell her something broke. I'm tell it. I'm going to tell everybody the tape machine broke. So I went over the talk back. Like, sorry guys, tape machine's down. Got to cancel. Got to stop. Yeah, we'll, we'll we get back with you. Up. Yeah, yeah. And we just yeah. then we just called Tony Mason and <laughs> and Jack Daly. And That's so great. Sorry to those man. guys. They were grand. They were just young guys. It was just like I was like, oh no, let's bring in the ringers. You know, she was really good. And we brought in some ringers, and you know we made. I the rest did, of the man. <laughs> That's so. I mean, I, I love, the, I love the behind the scenes, and you know what? It was cathar- the only way she was going to grow. You, she trusted you because she knew you knew what you were talking about. Well, also I have my team. You know, like I have these guys. You could like, like I have a team of guys. You know, like that. Like Scott likes to call it like this band that is New York. There's like a bunch of, there's probably, you know, whatever this hundred people are that sort of all kind of know each other. So it's like four or five drummers that you can call for a given gig wow. or session, you know. So um, cool. And um, you have, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's really cool. And it's dude, really, it's really, although it used good. to be more like 500 cats, you know, not a hundred. It may be. I mean, I, at least the crowds, like if you're talking crowd, like our crowd, I mean, there are 500 cats. I mean, there's five, uh, you know. Yeah, that, I just like, love hearing that. You're right on the, gang, yeah, like, yeah. Like with Scott and Tony, like these, like that, those are part like you they're know, in the like top one hundred. Yeah, right. I did. Yeah, there's yeah. a scene. There's there's like a blues rock jazz scene that is certain. You know, like you know, everyone kind of knows each other. There's still you know, it's still there. That's good. Know? That's good to hear. You know, I mean, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think. Do you consider yourself somebody who, uh, you know, allows information? Like, or do you feel like you are a conduit? Uh, for the music that you that really when you can get out of your own way that you can be a vessel 
and and, well, and what that feeling, you know, outside of the studio. I mean, once you, I just to me, like, there's only two letters that separate magic and music, and it's been very healing for me, kind of more in recent times in my life. And I just wanted to know if you were somebody who you know, really wants to get their shit down, or if you think, like, the R word, the rehearsal is a dirty word, you know? Oh, I don't know. I mean, oh, I don't know. I think there's a couple of questions in there. there, there absolutely. Thing. No, you riff any way you want. I, there's definitely... The, the thing some... is, I mean, look, man, I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to play <laughs> the best I can. I just think all these guys that I loved right. were the geniuses, you know? Like, I was doing this... I do this Crusaders cover band which is something like when we were kids that would have been a dirty word but now like nobody's who do you hear playing that music i right? love it man dude i so want you to go even earlier in the part. 70s crusaders dude yeah i mean yeah. just fucking if i could play one night with wilton felder <laughs> then i could die happy dude you know? wilton felder man you know what I, mean? I mean that, that's, that's just a saxophone let alone his bass oh uh, dude well right? no i gotta send you my interview with him it's so touching dude it's unbelievable I mean, dude's a fucking genius uh, like unreal if i could play like that guy for five seconds then, <laughs> you know, then, I could, then we could talk about it. no but, but yeah. i mean dude you're I'm, craig I'm dryer dude you're not Wilton Felder. and if i could if yeah. I could honor these people <laughs> that I respect, you know what I mean? Like, like I could play one high note like Junior Walker, sure. you know, and then, you know, it, but it's to me, what I try to do is I try to play the best I can, entertain the people the best I can, but try to really honor and continue. And, and see, instead of looking back as a retro, like we're trying to cover these guys, what we're trying to do is, is keep the tradition alive of these geniuses. And so that some of these, you know, so, so, some people out there who haven't heard who the Crusaders were go, hey, shit, and they go check it out. Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. You got it. And then, and, you know, and and back to my friend Bill. Um, wait, what is this? Now, now I'm having a brain freeze. Bill Sims. Simsy, uh, dude. Sims. Uh, yeah. yeah, like he's like protect the blues or something. So, like, we try to play. Pro- don't forget about the blues, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to keep it alive. And, and, and I play with the bluesy tone and, and my rock tone, whatever. Just try to honor the tradition of these re- of the really important people uh, you know and that's that's where i see my role if i can honor them in some way and 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 in you know uh, and somebody listens to a crusaders record as a result hey that's fucking I, I, that's a win and uh you know i'm those guys were all the giants and who were we you know that's the way i see it for me and how how, you know, how do you musically though in 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 this time how do you keep pushing yourself out of your comfort zone? I mean, you want to entertain. I, I, I'm fundamentally into this sort of belief that, like, well, you, you just play with the best guys you can play with. I mean, go fucking go take a solo right after Scott Gerard with one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, in the El Dorado Slim. Have you heard the El Dorado? Dude, Slim my buddy. Know? Dude, my buddies were there. They they lost their minds, dude. I mean, dude, it, yeah, it's I mean, it's Scott's like the hottest band around, dude. Rock guitar player, but if you ask me. It's the it's the funky jazz shit that he's actually the best. At. Well, that my buddy, I mean, my buddy who was a drummer, yeah, he's a, he. My my buddy showed up there. He's a drummer. He said the exact same. The Grant Green stuff Dude, is he's just fucking killing. blowing your mind on yeah. the Grant Green shit. He's so good at. It. Then you take a solo after that, or how about after fuck Pat Bianchi? Yeah, who's one of the no, best. No, I mean this is these are, the, but I mean this is these are Titanic modern day. You see, that's the thing. I mean. See, I see that's that's what you do. You go play, go hang with those guys, and then it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so that's, you know, like, all right, I'll do the best I can. I've got to play after Bianchi plays. And fucking Bianchi plays so good sometimes that I've seen the whole band as watching the organ player. 
well, yeah, he, I mean, I, yeah, my dear, we're all looking at at the organ player because he's such a beast. My dear friend, my dear late uncle Pat Martino, man, Bianchi crushed oh, it in that. Oh, he's your uncle? Wow. That's no, 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 no. I mean, he's like my spirit. He was like one of my first interviews, and he was opened his heart to me for eleven years ago. And I mean, uh, Bianchi and Carmen and Torre are, you know, they were cooking with him, man. Like, so you look at Bianchi, he just takes it out, way out. People are just staring at him, you know. I mean, it's a heavyweight group. I just, but you know what fucking yeah. Bianchi said to me, man? Yeah. What? I'm like, I was like Bianchi, dude. You're fucking a beast, you know. And then he he was he's going, he was like, man, I'm checking you guys out. Like you're the way you guys play pentatonic, just the way you guys keep it when you're in pentatonic blues stuff. He's like, I'm checking you guys out because I, you know, Scott makes a joke. He's like, for Bianchi, it's his rock gig. For for me and Scott, it's our jazz gig. <laughs> right? It totally did. So, so I love that. Like, That's so cool. Yeah. So he, he was like, I was like, I was, I didn't expect him to say, it. I didn't know what I expected him to say, but he was, he's, he's a beautiful and humble and amazing. The dude who's checking us out to say like, Oh, what's your rock shit? The funk, you're playing funk and rock. Like, let me check out you guys. Cause he's, you know, cause he sees himself, I guess he sees himself, you know, more as a jazzer and all that. And I won't speak for him, but you know, so he was, you know, so that's the thing. You just go with guys you think are great, and you're playing with these guys, and listen to them, and try to cop whatever you can, and and do the best you can. You know, um, you know, I'm st- I'm I'm still I'm, I'm still practicing. I'll, as soon as this fucking call is done, I gotta play some, <laughs> yeah, I gotta man, play some no, tones on my flute. I'm playing with Randy Lopez on 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 Thursday, and I you know I gotta I gotta play like a bunch of flute tunes. It's like all right, you know. Um, I just want to ask you before we can wrap up. I I I I I just want to ask you. You're involved, like uh, El Dorado Slim, the Crusader. Are there any more dates on the books? Because you know I'm in Tucson, it would, and but I I seriously it would be it'd be worth my time. I just want to come see you guys live because well, I was serious. We're playing. We're playing at Jimmy's in in New Hampshire with. Uh, with uh, are you, wait, 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 hold on. Jimmy's on in Jimmy's in New Hampshire. Yeah, that's the only game we have on the books because because Scott's out with Little Feet, so I do. Yeah, um, totally, and Tony as well. Yeah, yeah, and the shame the the Crusaders thing that we do. We're, we have a few. The, 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 stat, the bummer right now is that Clark, the trombone player, um, he's not well right now. Oh. So so that's been a big drag. Okay. Well, um, we, uh, and we, he was also yeah. doing El Dorado Slim, so um, that's a bummer. But we're gonna have uh, Jenny Hill's gonna. Uh, fill in for him and so and we was also doing this other really cool band with with clark where he was playing too but we were called men of leisure which oh. was happening really <laughs> it was really cool oh i think i've of, seen some clips of that yeah dude yeah, totally men of yeah, leisure yeah clark is ill right now so he's oh, man. All right. stroke, Be- so it's gonna be a long haul for his back so um but uh yeah but i i think you know look for more el dorado slim in the in the spring i, I imagine scott will get a run and um yeah if you're in new york you know locally i there's this uh, we're doing gigs with this uh woman molly ruth she's great you got to come check that out what what are what are yeah. the yeah what venues like do you want to give a shout out to because i do feel like there well, are nautico is my favorite right now it, dude i place. saw yeah i saw mason and and uh jeff hill and Avi Bortnick and Eric Deutsch and and, and a, they just yeah, yeah. took the roof off the place too. Yeah, that's the place right now. I mean, after the fifty five bar is gone for sure, local, sure. Yeah, now the fifty five is gone. I'd say Lunatico is is, and he's open to you know he you know he Richard is really great at 
you know, he's a great musician and, and songwriter himself, and he's he's got his yeah, he's got a great he's got great taste, and he allows people to come in and take some chances, and do some stuff, and and uh, creates a great environment for the musicians. That's my favorite place right now that I can think of right off the top of my head, and um, yeah, so. No, I mean when I when I come out and when I come out we'll do a we'll do you know do a hang. Also, I would like a shout out to uh, please from, from I'm working with this. There's this you got to check out this woman Queen Esther. You know Queen Esther? No. See, you got to check her out because she's doing the thing. She's she calls it Black Americana. So it's she's trying. She's not trying. She is doing. She's like like she went to Gettysburg, right? Wow. And she. She started writing, you know, she's writing songs like in folk and, and not blues so much as country and, and even some country rock um, kind of tunes and sort of, you know, from a, a renewed black perspective. I, I should let her make that. Yeah, I mean, we're, no, we're, we're, we're stu- yeah, words are not really doing cool justice. Shit. Renewed, renewed. Listen to you, renewed. I don't know what I'm talking about. Dude, I, I, dude Craig Dreyer, man, you made, I'm so, you know what? This was a power first set, and uh, we'll just continue the ride, man. I, it's just great to – Leone and Sherrard, I mean, Little Feet, they – I mean, I can't imagine seeing them live in the 70s and how burning it must have been. I just right. – I mean, to see those cats carry – like, I interviewed Fred Tackett before they came into town, and uh, it's just so beautiful to see the, t- the baton being passed. But not just being passed, it's being passed to Scott and – you know, it's being passed to those cats and Tony. Can I just tell you one funny thing? I Go. told Scott when we were playing gigs when he first came to New York. Like I gave him some of his first gigs. He tell he tells this story, but then I tell this story. We were in a fucking cab after this shitty little gig on the upper side, right? And I was like, "Man, I'm going to tell you something about you right now." I said, "You're going to be. They're going to be like." You're going to be in guitar magazines as like the blues rock guitar star. And they're going to be like writing about what pedals you use and what amp you play and all this shit. I remember he was like 21 years old and I was like 30. I was like the old man, you know. Cause I'm wow, like, dude, I love it. Right? He had just come but over. Wow. And he's in the car. He's going, oh, no, man. No, no, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm telling you, motherfucker. You're gonna be. They're gonna be writing about what pedals you use in the book. She's like, oh no, man. And I, and I we were cracking up because I was like, because I was right. <laughs> I mean, look at him now. He's. Look I mean, he's, you know. But I mean, the, those guys just make it. I mean, the the you know the definition of of genius is making something difficult look easy. They just it's flowing, you know. And in that setting, Don, and I just want to see yeah. him with with Dreyer, El Dorado, Slim Crusaders, man. Er, you know, uh, mess, that. Early seventies, like razor's edge funk, man, is insane, dude. Wilton, man, <laughs> fucking Wilton Felder, like he, yeah, oh, dryer. Yeah, and then, and then, and you know, Scott spread, you know, he spread out the tunes, like he, he's calling some really. I love, dude. Some, you keep going, Hamilton man. Yeah, there, yeah, which is really cool because the one tune is, um, uh, um, yeah. What was that one tune? That written by Arnie Lawrence. Arnie, and, dude, and, listen to you, man. Yeah, what Arnie are you Lawrence doing, man? Play, he used to show up. He used to show up. He used to play gigs. He used to hang. He used to like Aaron Comas from the Spin Doctors. He used to have gigs with with Artie would be on, would be hanging out at the Nightingales. He was much older than all of us, <laughs> hanging out playing. So like you know, I remember standing being in the section with Artie. Me and Artie trade solos and hanging out and talking. He was deep, and so it's cool. Like he, we're doing a Chico. A, a, I think it's a Chico Hamilton tune that Arnie Lawrence wrote. 
I think that's right. No, is this but all? Sherrard's got his finger on the pole. You got because it's all this cross. Scott's, Scott's a badass man. That motherfucker. I mean, it, it all so if you got Crusaders and then the Les McCann compared to what maybe Horace Silver and the, I mean that all that acid jazz, whatever they call it, you know that psychedelic. It's just yeah. that stuff is just. And then, yeah, it's in that vein, but we're not doing those those some of those more obvious tunes. We're doing a little deeper deeper cuts. Uh, no, what I'm saying is, it's just there was that period in the late '60s where there was this crossover. Uh, rock, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh, your hit, Chico yeah. Hamilton started that shit too. So it's like, yeah, that stuff is great. great. Mind melting. So I mean, uh, Craig, man, it's such an honor. Let's keep in touch, and we'll All do right, it thanks again. Thanks for having me, and uh, appreciate the call. All right, dude, be cool, man. All right, talk to you later.